Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. I think one of the things I see, especially with technology curriculum, is right. we focus on all these technical aspects of it, but there's no kind of focus on the humanistic aspects of it, right? Or the social mm. science aspects of it. People had to collect this data. People get to choose what data to feed into the system. Mm. That's a human choice, right? I think a lot of this is learning about these human choices um, and just being thoughtful and meaningful about it um, and understanding of, yeah, this could cause harms for others. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to do that. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every three weeks, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronoun she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Spencer, I... Cannot believe it. My My mind is boggled. But this Mm -hmm. is episode 50. 50. 5-0. 5-0. 5-0. Holy shit. (sighs) Can you believe that? (laughs) We made it. We made it. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't feel like it's been 50-5-0. Right? That's a lot of episodes. Doesn't compute. That's like multiple seasons of a TV show. (laughs) Well, yeah, this is a TV show. We're like approaching syndication, right? I mean, honestly, we're like making a movie every every few weeks. If it's (laughs) if it's to be compared, we create more content than the typical TV episode on HBO. So MCU doesn't have anything on us. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! But yeah, but it's been. It, September 15th is the official day that we released our uh, first ever episode of mm-hmm. the Pixel Therapy podcast, mm-hmm. um, which was technically, we technically classified it as a bonus episode. It was the, it was literally just the conversation that we decided to hit record on between yeah. you and me, like talking about what we thought the podcast was going to be. Oh, man. So September 15th. So this year it'll have been two full years of doing this show mm-hmm. uh, with each other. That's amazing. And it's been a journey. Yeah, it's been a journey, but it's always been rewarding and fun. And so yeah. thanks for for making it fun. And <laughs> I don't know, like it's it's cool that we've made this thing together for this long and we don't hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't hate each other. If anything, I think it's like made us better friends. Yeah, and we communicate really well now. <laughs> we're really, really fucking well, right? Like uh yeah, I feel like it was uh wait, wait, how do I want to put this? It's like um like couples therapy, but it yeah, was <laughs> it, it was is. like for friendship and uh yeah. Like, I, I feel like you're the person that I'm most accountable to in my life. Like even more than my <laughs> my partner. I'm like <laughs> No, you don't understand. I, I'm committed to Jamie. <laughs> I'm committed to this podcast relationship. Yeah, yeah. I got to be there on time. We got to do this. Um, it's true. No, it's real though. It's been so much fun doing this with you. It's definitely been work. It's been a lot of work, yeah. but um, yeah, I've just, I've really appreciated doing it and mm-hmm. you know, here's to 50 more. Hell yeah. I feel like I'm learning stuff. It's a great way to get 
I feel like I I get so much more out of gaming, my hobby. It's also become yeah. like gaming my passion. Um, mm. Like someone told me the other day that I talk about games the way a sommelier talks about different types <laughs> of wine. And I took that as a very deep compliment. Yeah, it is. I do love games. And I think this podcast encourages me to find something to appreciate in every game. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And I know like I've struggled on and off with like feelings like, oh, I can't just play a game. I've got to like mm. play the game. And if I'm going to start a game that I've got to invest fully in it so that mm. I drum up something to talk about on the mm-hmm. podcast. But overall, like that, those kinds of like that stupid pressure that I'm putting on myself mm-hmm. aside, like overall, yeah, it, it has only served to deepen my relationship with games. And I love talking about media. And before we started doing this podcast, it's not, you know, we would talk about games, but now yeah. it's like, it's like a dedicated thing. I know yeah. that I'm going to have an outlet, <laughs> someone to like really dive deep on some nerdy game shit with. So Absolutely. That's, that's been nice. <laughs> I've always wanted that. Uh, and now I get it. Yeah. It's like a little club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> AKA just two friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, right. Friendship. Right. Yeah. Friendship. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of friends, uh, let's do our Patreon shout outs. Hell yeah. Because they're the best of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier uh, for the month of July. So that's a very, very large and warm thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimhatai, Adianka, and CD Mess. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our silly little show. Uh, Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series co-op mode. In our August episode, we kind of got a little tangential. (laughs) As we do. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, branched out into some of the other media that we've uh, we've both been diving into this summer. Um, So it's a fun conversation about some cool books, some cool shows, et cetera. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So y'all should come check that out. Yeah, a little cleanse. Uh, (laughs) If that sounds interesting, though, yeah, you can go over there to the Patreon and check that out. If you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or you can even write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, so please drop us a little note. And one more piece of housekeeping, and this one is slightly sad, but it's for good reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, I don't know. Yeah, all positive stuff. Um, Spencer and I do need to take a little, little breaky. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot going on uh, in our personal lives for September and October. And it's just, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we were spending some time looking at the schedule this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I think that everyone will get um, a better experience, <laughs> both yeah. us and our listeners, if we take a break on the public episodes for the months of September and October. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never taken a break on the podcast before. We've had episodes get delayed here and there, but we've been doing 50 episodes pretty consistently for the last two years, pumping them out every two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's been great. We love doing it. We're definitely coming back. This is not uh, a prologue or like an, ep- you know, like, oh, we're going to say we'll be back in two months and then we never show up. Oh my we're God. Not- <laughs> yeah. No, again, nobody's getting ghosted here, but we do need to take a break because our schedules are just a little too bananas the next yeah. couple of months. And I'll be real, like I'm taking a little 
bit of medical leave. Um, and so this is definitely something that I need to do. Um, I think I'm someone who tends to try to just act like everything's fine. Um, but we're not just to pop on what Jamie's saying, like this isn't just a, oh, we're sick of doing this type of leave. It's a needed break for bodies and minds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm going to be traveling. There's several big life events happening um, for us and for close friends that we want to be able to uh, be there for and participate in and travel for. And we can't do that and the podcast at the same time. And if we try to do them both, they're both going to be done less well mm-hmm. um, and less with us giving all of ourselves to it. So little break. We'll mm-hmm. be back with public episodes in November. Uh, we will keep dropping bonus episodes on the Patreon. So if you're a Patreon subscriber or if you really miss us in September and October <laughs> and you want to come catch an episode, we will do a bonus episode each for the months of September and October that will come out in those months. Um, but the public episodes will be on pause until November 2022. So We'll see you then. Yeah, this is just, just a, a pause. It's not goodbye forever. <laughs> All right. We'll be back. <laughs> Absolutely. Cross my heart. It's time to get cozy, though, Spencer. It's time to pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. We're going to talk about our feelings. How are you doing? Well, I'm good. I'm increasingly anxious as the aforementioned medical leave that I'm undergoing approacheth. Um, (laughs) But I think it's going to be really great. And I know I'm being intentionally vague right now, but um, I think on the other side of this, um, I will be... Uh, a happier and more full person. Um, so I'm sure my fellow transes can maybe pick up on what I'm putting down, but it will shall be transformative <laughs> <laughs> and exciting. Um, but it's just a big change. So it's sort of taking over my life for these couple weeks leading up to the day. Mm-hmm. Um, plenty of video games helping to distract me, um, including what we're going to discuss today. But, um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, I it, it finally happened. It finally <laughs> came. And the thing that came <gasps> is my Steam Deck. <laughs> ah, she's yeah. here. <laughs> she's here. Earlier than expected. I thought I wasn't going to get it until later this fall. But I was ah. super excited to get the email being like, you can order it now. And I ordered it and it came. And it's everything I hoped it would be and more. It Wait, just came Jamie, this, What? What's... What's the Steam Deck? What's the Steam Deck? Let me tell you what the Steam Deck is. Uh, The Steam Deck is a handheld gaming device uh, released by Valve, uh, who they run the Steam store. Uh, They also have developed a handful of games over the many years that they've Mm -hmm. been in existence. But uh, yeah, most known for PC gaming and, and managing the Steam store. Um, so it's a device that is specifically designed to play Steam, aka PC games, on. Um, but it's uh, kind of open. I don't know if open source is quite the right word for it, but mm. you can download other. Like people have found a lot of ways to download other things onto it to play a large variety of games. So I'm really excited about the possibilities. Um, but the main reason that I wanted it is because, as I've talked about many times on this show, I am not a PC gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a PC that can run a decent number of video games, but I really don't like the experience of sitting at a computer to play games. There's something like I play games to relax and there's Mm. something about the leaning back experience of console gaming and like being able to sit in my living room Mm -hmm. away from my office and work 
to play that is like super important to me in my experience of games. And I really struggle to sit at a computer hunched over in the space where I do most of my work and try to engage with the game. Like it's just not at all how I want to play. Yeah. Um, But there's always little indie games or other games that come out that are either relegated to PC for the first year or so of their existence or never make it over to console. And I've long, you know, sat at the window pane (laughs) watching (laughs) everyone else enjoy their PC games and being like, I wish that was me. Um, And now it finally can be. Uh, So yeah, with the Steam Deck, I'm just hoping that, you know, it's not something I think I'll play every night, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's mobile, so I can play it in the living room, I can play it from my bed. It's just a new way for me to be able to engage with PC games and hopefully get to try some of these smaller experiences that I've long wanted to play, but just haven't been able to get over the hurdle of having to sit at the computer to do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I'm really happy with it so far. It's bigger than the Switch, like a lot bigger than the Switch, but surprisingly like light and feels more like a controller Mm. when you're holding it than I think the Switch does. So just like from a tactile experience of it, I'm really liking it. And yeah, excited to do more with it and come back to the podcast to share more Steam Deck experiences. But right Mm -hmm. now we're in our the honeymoon phase and it's just like, oh, (laughs) it's here. It's so nice. And how long did you have to wait for it? Like what was the time between when you pre-ordered it and when you got it? Yeah, I was late to putting in the so the way the pre-orders worked when they originally announced so that yeah, the device just started shipping Mm, this past spring slash summer to people who had pre-ordered. And I think pre-orders went up early last fall, maybe a bit sooner than that. And I was kind of late to the party. They, they only were asking for people to put down $5 to kind of like reserve Mm. your place in line, which I thought was a cool pre-order system. So uh, when I finally ended up doing it, which was late fall, early winter. So it might've been like November or December. Oh, wow. Of last year, I just had to put the $5 down to secure my place in line and pick which of the, like, they have, like, three versions of Mm -hmm. it that the main difference between them is the size and type of memory. Like, the Mm -hmm. one, I got the lowest tier version one that's uh, just using, like, a a memory card. But they're... The two higher end ones use a solid state drive mm. and have more capacity on them. But I just I knew for what I was using this for, I didn't want to spend that kind of money on it. Um, and I'm glad that I made that choice. Honestly, now having the device in hand and having a better understanding of how and when I'm going to use it, I think I would be feeling uh, maybe a little bit of buyer's remorse if I mm. had dropped more money on it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so it's five dollars to pre order and then. Basically, they they queue you up in the line and you wait to get an email from them saying the device is ready for you to order. And when you get the email saying it's ready to order, you have like two days to go in and and pay the balance on it and then they'll ship it to you. Gotcha. So then, yeah, it was earlier, like end of last week, I got the email saying I could go in and order it. Right. I was curious, um, like maybe I just, maybe I miss. Maybe I misinterpreted what you meant previously, but I heard you say like, oh, you don't think you're going to be using it as much as maybe you thought, like you're really going to be using it for specific games. Like, um, did you feel like it was going to be like your new big console and then that perception was shifted when you got it? Or was that or was that always kind of the relationship you wanted to have with it? That was always the relationship I thought I was going to have with it. But I think there was a period between when I So that was what I was thinking when I originally went in and put the $5 down. Mm. And then 
when at the time that I pre-ordered it, nobody had the device in hand because this is a brand new thing. There's not been a previous version or iteration of this. It's totally new. Valve's never made a Steam Deck before. So in late spring, early summer, when um, reviewers and games media and influencers and stuff started getting their hands on the Steam Deck and everyone was just raving about it, I definitely went through like a little bit of a FOMO buyer's remorse period where Mm. I was like, oh, maybe I should have got the better (laughs) one. Um, And I was a little like, oh, the one I got's not going to be as cool. I'm not going to be as happy with it. Yeah. Um, But at this point, it's like, if I wanted to change what I had pre-ordered, I would have to wait until they open pre-orders up again, which isn't no. going to be until like <laughs> later this year, like Ugh. maybe November, December again this year. And then mm-hmm. I would have had to wait again to get the. So yeah, when, when it came through, I was like, okay, I'm just going to get it and yeah. hopefully it'll be what I want. And I read a bunch about all the differences between the different versions. And I was like, you're just being silly. Like you don't mm-hmm. need that higher end mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. but I was still feeling a little bit like, oh, <laughs> but I want the better which So I guess it was very affirming once I got it in hand, it was like, no, this is perfectly yeah. fine. I'm glad I didn't spend more money. Great. This is going to do what I want it to do. And I didn't need to invest more <laughs> in something that I'm probably only going to use uh, for like one game every few months. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if this was some, if I was like a big handheld gamer and I was constantly playing games on the go, I do think investing in something more expensive would be worth it. But that's just not what I do. I want PlayStation trophies. So if a game's on PlayStation, yeah. that's probably going to be where I play it. Um, and yeah, so that's just going to inherently lessen the number of games I play on the Steam Deck. But Word. that's me and my Steam Deck journey so far. Cool. I'll be sure to keep everyone posted. Mm-hmm. Spencer, what are you playing? <laughs> what am I playing? What are we playing? What are it's we playing? the game everyone's playing. I, <laughs> I'm just telling everybody, uh, we are playing Cult of the Lamb. Fuck yeah, we are. <gasps> What's Cult of the Lamb? Okay, so it's a totally awesome new roguelike um, an action-adventure game out from Massive Monster, which is an adorable little yeah. name, um, <laughs> and published by Devolver. Um, the game came out early August. Uh, it was, it's on everything. It's on Steam. It's on it's on Mac. It's on uh, Mac and Windows, uh, Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox. So basically, you have no excuse not to play it if you have <laughs> any sort of access to an electronic. <laughs> um, and you basically play as a little lamb. You are the last of your kind and you are sacrificed by a religious cult. And at the moment of your death, a demon uh, summons you and says, hey, want to come back to life in exchange for immortal service in my name? And you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> um, so basically you're playing a combination of Oh my God, Hades and Animal Crossing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would say maybe a little bit of Stardew Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, town sim mashed up with the rogue, a, like roguelike dungeon crawler. Absolutely, you are yeah. building your cult. You are wiping out the heretics and other cults which threaten the growth of yours, and you are doing it all in service of the one who waits, a demon that is granting you immortality and endless power. Um I love it. How would how would you how's yeah, how would you pitch this game? Was that a good intro? Yeah, no, I, I think I think you nailed it. I think you absolutely nailed it. I can't add anything to the pitch of the game, but I am also loving it. Uh the first thing that I think just 
uh, absolutely pops out in your face. Mm. The art style of this game yes. is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, there's so much else. Or, like, an art style on its own isn't going to make or, like, well, it can make or break a game. But mm-hmm. it's not, you don't just play a game for the art style. But yeah. a great art style, which this game definitely has, absolutely elevates it mm. to the next fucking level for me. Mm-hmm. The, like, care and detail that they put into every little thing, the way mm. everything you interact with has some sort of a animation or a style to it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like such a unique and thorough vision of how they wanted this game to look visually as you're experiencing it. And totally. it's, uh, I guess it's kind of got like a, it's like a flat 2d esque mm-hmm. 2d ish uh, look to it like characters look flat even though they're existing in a 3d space yeah is how i would put it um everything's uh, got a hand-drawn animated quality to it mm-hmm. um the characters are all it's quite cartoonish mm-hmm. um bright vivid colors with like dark uh you know very thick black lines around all of the character models and mm. the things so everything's you know outlined and stuff and lots of reds like i really love mm. the contrast of the the bright bold reds with kind of the muted greens that yeah. end up a lot on the screen especially in your town like it's all a big grassy area and the mm-hmm. way that and and then uh just this past week they actually did an update to the game where they added these kind of like bloom effects on lighting and on your character that i personally think look really good on the, i'm playing the game on ps5 and my OLED TV, and I think it looks really good. Other folks have been kind of bitching about the, the new Bloom effects, but I wonder how much of that is like the platform that they're playing it on, and maybe it doesn't doesn't come across as good because you're you're not playing it on PS5, right? I made a terrible mistake, and I bought it <laughs> for the Switch because I was like, I want to play it handheld. Um, and when I saw it on Jamie's TV the other day, it was like a different game. Like it looked like I was playing the wireframe test version and Jamie was playing the real game. It's absolutely breathtaking on PS5. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, everything from the way. Oh, God. Like, how do we want to start talking about this yeah, game? It, it really strikes a tone. Like, I guess if we were to just, yeah, to add to your sort of um, stage setting discussion, like, it's, it really is this mix of like the macabre and the adorable. Mm. Um, like, I wouldn't say it's a scary game. Um, yeah, no. But, like, for example, I was playing it on an airplane the other day on my Switch, and there was an <laughs> older gentleman sitting next to me reading uh, some kind of religious text. Like, I could see on his book that it was some kind of collection of psalms or something, and I could feel his eyes, like, burning a hole into <laughs> my Switch as I was playing. Like, there's definitely, like, you know, there's rituals, there's sacrifice, there's brainwashing, there's, like, it's a very tongue-in-cheek portrayal of the very real ways that cults manipulate uh Mm. vulnerable people yeah but you're all cute little animals and it's just it's so interesting and engaging i just i haven't played a game that was this fascinating to me in a while (laughs) yeah and it's so uh yeah that that juxtaposition of the really cute uh, character design using so many like all of your little cultists you're, they call them followers but mm-hmm. they all yeah you you can pick different forms when when you get a new follower you it comes with kind of a randomized set of characteristics which it'll come with a preset name come in a preset you know they call them follower forms which you can actually unlock more of as you go through the game mm-hmm. um but 
all of those things are preset when they show up, but you can also go in and customize them. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to name all of your followers, um, which kind of like reminded me of, you know, going back playing Oregon Trail and yeah. naming everyone in your <laughs> in your horrible little uh, <laughs> wagon and watching them all die horrible deaths on your oh way across God. what's now the United States of America. Um, so you kind of like simulate something like that, right? You can name your followers after friends and family and then watch them <laughs> go through and hell, then sacrifice basically. them to a demon yeah exactly um or uh you know feed them bowls of poop Um, yeah oh god it's interesting (laughs) so the game has this through line of um like your animals produce poop you can use it as manure um to grow your crops you can also create food dishes from the poop and give them a dish as jamie said called bowl of poop um (laughs) there's also these missions that come up where the a little follower will come up to you and be like please leader i have this inexplicable urge to eat poop like could you please make me a bowl of poop and I was on Twitter and there was a like zoologist who was tweeting and she was talking about all of the loving details that are put into Cult of the Lamb and she was like you know everyone is freaking out about the fact that you're feeding your followers poop in this game but it's actually based on this true animal fact that lots of animals like donkeys horses um llamas and stuff like animals that appear in the game from time to time they will actually eat their own poop as a way of like regulating their stomachs so the fact that they're from time to time coming up to you being like i have this sudden urge to eat poop like please help me (laughs) it's actually real (laughs) wow wow today i learned yeah that's fascinating (laughs) maybe we should talk about kind of like the main gameplay loop yeah sure so the main gameplay loop is you know once you you go through the original opening right they kick you out and you're kind of put through an initial tutorial showing you like here's how you recruit a follower and and here's how you build things here's how you make food for your followers and uh setting up kind of the town sim elements it's a lot of what you would expect from a traditional town sim right you have to build lodging for your followers so that they have Mm. somewhere to sleep at night you have to, uh, you know, there's there's a farming system in the game, so you have to plant crops, um, which eventually as you level up the the farming stuff, you can have your followers actually be doing the harvesting that, you know, the planting of the crops, the watering of the crops, the harvesting of them. You do have to make food for them. That's something that you can never train somebody else to do. You always mm-hmm. have to, you know, be sure to pop in every day or two and make them meals. Um, and then there's other uh, eventually other chores and stuff that you can have them doing. You can set up uh, timber yards where they'll produce wood for you. You can set up mines where they'll produce stone, you know, basic elements for building more things. As Spencer already talked about, um, actually like poop management is a, <laughs> a surprisingly large part of the game. Yeah. Uh, you event, you know, initially your followers will just, it's, it's absolutely adorable, but you, you have this big space on the map to build your town out in. And so when you're first starting, you know, most of the buildings and stuff will all be kind of concentrated close to the central mm. hub, which is also where most folks build their, you have to build a temple. Um, where your followers will come for sermons and other religious ceremonies. <laughs> and then you also at the very center of the town have um, a shrine where they will uh, pray to you, mm-hmm. essentially. Or they're playing, praying to the one who waits, but you can absorb that. They call it devotion. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you absorb that you end up, uh, you use it to level up, yeah. basically. It's like experience points. Um so most of your buildings and stuff end up being like near this kind of central hub of the town. 
So when the followers have to go to the bathroom, they <laughs> will. <laughs> you can you can tell when someone's got to go because they'll be like in the middle of, oh, I'm chopping some wood. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Big old smile on their face. And then suddenly they'll just stop and they'll start beelining it out to some random corner <laughs> of the map. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? If you yeah. follow them, they'll run up and they'll make a little face and bend over and be like, yeah. It's like just uh, like my dog. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's disgusting and cute at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Um, but if you don't clean up after them, especially at the beginning of the game when they're just pooping in the field, uh, eventually. So, yeah, what happens is one follower poops. If another follower sees that poop, they'll get sick and throw up. Yeah. So you'll go. You'll be like <laughs> You like disappear for a little bit and come back and you'll find a poop with like three piles of vomit around it. Yeah. Because <laughs> like other people saw it. But anyway, <laughs> you have to clean up after them. Eventually you can build outhouses and, and then you can use the poop as fertilizer. It's a whole system. Poop management is a whole thing in the game. But it makes sense, right? Like the basic necessities of of taking care of a town of people, right? You've got to have a sewage system. You've got to feed them. There's got to be lodging for them. They need chores to do. And then they have their religious institution where you're giving them sermons and uh, and performing rituals. Um, So the loop of the game is that you're in the town uh, using the resources that you've got, setting these things up, taking care of your followers, and then you go back into the dungeon. There's four main dungeons that you're working your way through, uh, and each dungeon has a boss at the end of it. Mm. And as you beat each boss, that's um, you know you're building towards eventually releasing the one who waits. That's mm-hmm. like the main narrative thrust of the game is that your little lamb character wants to unbind the one who waits from his chains. These other four bosses in the game have locked him up mm-hmm. and you're working to release him. Mm-hmm. So, but in the dungeons, you're collecting resources. Uh, you know, at the start of the game, that's your main source of wood and stone before you can build the mines and the timber yards back mm-hmm. at your base. It's also your main source of food initially. Uh, and it's your main source of gold coins. And then as the game progresses and you, um, unlock more and more things by building up your coal, increasing the devotion, um, doing these, like you do these daily sermons that you can Mm -hmm. do that will give a big boost to your, uh, to your devotion level. And also like one of the meters that you have to maintain, you both have to keep every, you know, there's three meters that show up at your coal. Um, one is for people's hunger levels, right? So you have to keep everybody fed. One is for wellness. You know, you have to keep everybody healthy. That means keeping things clean um, and, uh, you know, picking up poop, picking up vomit, (laughs) not not letting them walk around in filth. Um, But the biggest one is the faith meter. And you have to keep everyone's faith up. If your cult starts to doubt you, mm-hmm. then you'll get things called dissenters. A follower <laughs> will, his eyes will go red and he'll storm, he'll spend his days storming around the cult with a little bullhorn yelling at the other followers about how awful you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then the game like gives you so many different ways to deal with these scenarios. Right. So just in the example of having a dissenter, um, maybe you're going to take your cult on a path where you believe in sacrifice, in which case you can sacrifice the follower and everyone will be happy about it. They yeah. won't care. Um, or you could build a little prison yard and you could lock the follower up and reeducate him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you all believe in brainwashing. You could all do <laughs> shrooms and everyone would just yes! follow you blindly for a few days. Very midsummer. <laughs> Very A24. <laughs> yeah. um, or maybe you're a cult that's okay with murder. So you could unlock mm. the ability to just basically go up and stab the guy. <laughs> and and, and yeah. take him out of his misery, right? There's all these different ways you can approach it. 
And you do that by building, you're literally building out a religion. Um, you're unlocking doctrines in the game, you're unlocking rituals, and you're choosing the direction that your cult's faith wants to go and that's gonna, it all kind of leads you to the same place, but every each person's cult looks a little different based mm-hmm. on the doctrines that they choose to institute and the rituals that they choose to follow. Mm-hmm. And that aspect of the game I thought was just so cool. It introduced such a neat level of variety. Um, so me and my partner are both playing the game as like, even just looking from what I was doing to what he was doing is like, oh, interesting. So your cult doesn't believe in burying people. Instead, you compost your bodies and use that as fertilizer mm-hmm. for the farms. Meanwhile, my cult, uh, we believe that there's an afterlife and that we and we believe in burying folks. So I have a little graveyard and there's all these cute little headstones and the other uh, followers will go and grieve at the different headstones and then I'll get extra loyalty points. So the amount of systems and the depth of those systems in those game in the game, I was like super impressed with it. It all kind of translates to the same basic resources. You're only working with a handful of basic resources, which keeps it from being overly complex. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of skill, different skill trees to level up and a lot of different ways that you can engage with your cult and followers. So that always made the town sim elements really cool to come back to. And then when you're in the dungeons... You do get random, the the weapons are randomized. So every time you go into a dungeon, you're presented with a different weapon type. Um, and you, as you work your way through the dungeon, you get different, they have a tarot card system where you basically encounter mm. a tarot card merchant who will present you two tarot cards. You get to pick one. So it's kind of like Hades in that sense, uh, where your weapons are unique to the dungeon run, as yeah. are the special abilities that you have and the perks. Um, so it's all kind of randomized. Um, but yeah, so you go in the dungeon, you get resources, you fight bosses, you come back, you level up your cult, rinse and repeat. And mm-hmm. that cycle is so, because when you come back to your cult to help them, you end up using a lot of the resources you get just got. So mm-hmm. now you're, you're forced to go back into the dungeon and that constant like grind was so addictive. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we talked about this. Like this game literally is an hour like melter. Yeah. Like I just I'd look up and I'd be like, holy shit, four hours went by mm-hmm. and I still don't want to stop playing because as soon I, I constantly feel like I have a next thing to do. I'm like, yeah. okay. I got to go in the dungeon. I got to get some more wood so I can come back and build this thing. So I get the wood. I come back. Okay. I built the thing. I fed everybody. Fuck. Now I need this resource. Okay. I got to go back in the dungeon. And before you know it, you've done that cycle five or six times Yeah, and your day is gone. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredibly satisfying. Um, I think like you said, the variety, both in the ways the each dungeon run is, is new because of the different weapons and powers and, uh, rooms you'll find. Um, there's lots of cool random encounters in the dungeons where maybe you'll come into a room where there's just an NPC who will give you some more lore on the world building. Or maybe you'll enter a room and there's um, a person who wants to challenge you to a game of Knuckle Bones, which is a little dice-based game that is an extra thing that you can play in your downtime. Um, it's all just very, very engaging. Um, and and fun and and mysterious in a way that kept keeps me coming back. Um, I think too. I I really like the way that like I'm I'm very fascinated by like cults and religions, like how religions formed, how our beliefs formed, like how do whole groups of people become um, you know sucked into a, a specific way of life based on their impressionability and like it's all just like very interesting the way humans sort of crave structure and like, look for ways to put 
power into the hands mm-hmm. of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, despite that, um, I, I'm very, I go very attached to video game characters. And so it was hard for me to be like sacrificing my followers and stuff because they're so adorable. Yeah. So I really like the flexibility of, um, being able to pick and choose my doctrines and try to be a, a quote unquote good cult uh, <laughs> where like we, you know, I tried to take as much care as I could. I tried to um, like spend time with each of my villagers. And and even though I'm a demonic possessed like <laughs> cult leader, I feel like I still get to um, <laughs> feed that part of myself. That's a caretaker. Um I think in general, too, I just, I maybe wanted a little bit more narrative, um, what's it called, like narrative surroundings in the game. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. the game very much becomes about the engagingness of the mechanics and the various ways you can build and grow your cult. Um, But I think because of my interest in this kind of storytelling, I wanted a bit more lore around the demons and who we're serving and how their conflict came to be. And how come I ended up as the last lamb? Like, why am I special? Like, I I just wanted a bit more of that lore, Mm -hmm. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's an indie team who, who built an incredibly engaging game. Like I'm sort of blown away by how much thought, is packed into this title so i'm in no way like disparaging it who knows maybe we'll get dlc in the future with expanded storylines or whatever but um that might be my one critique um like i'm a pretty narrative driven gamer um i just feel like it's there's so much fodder here um that i just wanted more and more (laughs) so that's a compliment (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think uh i i completely agree with you and i think i think the game has two key shortcomings uh i absolutely love this game and so enjoyed the like i think i put like probably 20 plus maybe 30 hours into it Mm -hmm. um absolutely loved every second of it would absolutely continue to keep playing except that i've completely run out of things (laughs) to build or do in the game and i've now accrued like thousands of dollars and all the like thousands of all the resources and have nothing really to use it on or no reason like reason to keep going but i think you identify one key shortcoming for me too which is that there's not a lot of narrative trust to this and i and i will say that like games like this don't need a lot yeah. right i think of you know a game like stardew valley that i've put hundreds of hours into um but even that felt like it gave me a little bit more story wise mm-hmm. uh, and characters to invest in, even if there wasn't a deep plot in Stardew Valley, like the other characters in the world are interesting to engage with. Yeah. And this game, you know, your followers are all pretty flat. They don't mm-hmm. really have personalities. They have character traits or like perks or, mm-hmm. or, uh, What's the opposite of a perk? <laughs> um, a detractor. <laughs> I'm sure there's a word for it that like our listeners are screaming at their yeah. phone right now. But whatever, whatever the opposite of a perk is, things that that are unhelpful to your cult, and yeah. they come with those kind of preset. Yeah, and but and then even the customizability of them, the fact that they don't, you know, they come with a preset set of things, but. I could just change it. They just don't feel they're not their own thing. They're mm-hmm. not a character in the game that exists. You don't have to win them over or anything. Right. 
yeah. Um, so they they are designed to be fodder for yeah. you. They're almost designed to be a resource uh, yeah. in that sense because the more followers you have, the more quickly you can accrue devotion, um, the more quickly you can level up. Mm-hmm. So I definitely found myself wanting more from a story perspective and a character perspective and having more to engage with there. It builds an interesting world. The lore that they set up around the one who waits is interesting. It's just there's not a lot of it mm-hmm. and it's not that deep and you don't really have to even think about it or engage with it if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, super skippable. The game's so fun to play, but I just wanted that kind of extra layer. Yeah. And I think you did too, just as people who love narrative. Yeah. The other shortcoming of the game is unfortunately the bugs. And I oh, have right. full faith <laughs> that these are going to all get patched. The develop, you know, they've already had a big a couple big patches released since the game came out, and I know the developers are working hard on it. It's mm-hmm. unfortunately just one of the challenges that comes up around all game development generally, but I think also for a smaller team releasing on so many platforms at one time. Um and, and the inconsistency of the bugs. Like, as I said before, you know, you're playing this game on Switch. I was playing on PS5. My partner was also playing it on PS5. We're sitting there with what should theoretically be identical versions of the game. And he was experiencing things that I, in 20 hours of gameplay, never had happened mm-hmm. to me. And he was having them happen to him. And then vice versa. I would have something happen that didn't come up for him at all. And... It's just, it's unfortunate. I think it really speaks to how good the game is that we, all three of us kept coming back despite the bugs. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to say a bit about some of the issues we we're having on Switch? Because I know you had a really hard time even getting started on the game. Yeah, I had some game breaking stuff happening early on and it was so subtle that I thought I was just really bad at the game, but it it was, I was figuring out that there were bugs around like, you know, I'd be asked to complete a mission and then... Um, this bug would happen where I literally couldn't leave the cult. So I couldn't finish the mission. And so I would think to myself, oh, I'm, I must have forgotten to do something that would enable me to leave the cult. It's like, no, you just, it's just this wall's not supposed to be here. Or, um, you know, I would need to do a ritual involving a specific follower. And then I'd go into the church to, to do the ritual. And then that follower wouldn't appear in the menu to, to select them. And so, um, I did restart the game a couple times. Um, I, there was a trick that Jamie told me about, like literally on not just closing the game, but uninstalling it and reinstalling it. And so there were workarounds that made it so that I eventually could progress for far enough to like not make it worth it to purchase another copy of the game for a different platform. That being said, just a couple of days ago, um, there, there, like you said, there was a big patch that came out that fixed a lot of the issues. Um, I know that a lot of these things the developers are aware of. Um, mm-hmm. But I just kept coming back because I, I yeah. was, despite the bugs, I was like, it's still fun. So, hey, that's a lot. That can't be said for a lot of other games. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely the. I never ran into any game breaking bugs. I mm-hmm. had multiple bugs that forced me to like shut the game down and start it back up. Um, my partner, though, did like he he had to restart his game three or four times before it finally took and and he did the uninstall thing and that was what finally done it but he he played the first night that he downloaded again testament to how great the game is the first night he downloaded it he played like six hours straight saved it went to bed woke up the next morning his save was gone (laughs) started it again played for like four hours ran into a bug that like 
the the invisible wall bug that yeah, no matter yeah. how many times he restarted the game, the invisible wall wouldn't go away, which yes. really prevented him from progressing the game. Like he yeah. couldn't go into the dungeons, so he can't progress the game. So mm-hmm. okay, restart the game again, gets the invisible wall again, then he uninstalls it, reinstalls it. Now finally, it, it let him go through. But the he at no point was he like, okay, fuck it, I'm not gonna play yeah, this game exactly. because the game is so much fun yeah. to play. <laughs> so. They did it. They did do a patch. Then last night, my partner was playing it again, and like his game just kept freezing while he was trying to do rituals um, oh, because geez. he's got almost thirty followers now, and yeah. it's just chugging a little bit. So more patches to come, I'm sure. If uh, if you know that you're someone that these bugs are going to ruin the experience for you, like just wait another mm-hmm. month, even I feel like, and this game's going to be in way better shape. Um, but it wasn't enough of a hindrance to me that I regret playing the game when I did. Totally. They just, yeah, those bugs can get frustrating, especially when you start some of those, some of those more, uh, the game breaking ones really too bad. Yeah. 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 So folks should go play Cult of the Lamb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Give maybe wait a, a little bit and then play it. like a fine wine. Give it yeah. a couple more weeks and yeah. then download it. Yeah, but absolutely a fun time. Such a special game. Oh, and the music. We didn't even talk about yeah. the music. The music's so good. It slaps. So, such lovely, chill vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a great game. Mm-hmm. What a great game. I suppose we should transition to our mm-hmm. interview now, huh? Yeah, let's. While, <laughs> okay. they, while they download Cult of the Lamb, they can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while you're downloading Cult of the Lamb, you can listen to our interview. And our guest for you today is Wells Santo. Wells is an interdisciplinary educator, researcher, and activist on the societal implications of technology, primarily working in the nonprofit education space and with a specific focus on artificial intelligence. We talked with Wells about pursuing a PhD, what people misunderstand about the potential and power of AI the perfect Boba tea order, and how the 2018 mobile game Florence brought Wells back to video games after a decade away. It's a great conversation that we know you're all going to enjoy. So without further ado, here's our interview with Wells Santo. Hello to our wonderful guest, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio. To start, could you share your name and your pronouns? Yes, uh, I'm Wells Lucas Santo, and I use he, she, they pronouns. Awesome. And Wells, tell us a bit about how you spend your time. Yeah, definitely. Um, For how I spend my time, uh, (laughs) I guess that's a tricky question. Uh, Honestly, I think a lot of my time is spent napping. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that lately, especially during the pandemic. Mm. Um, But otherwise, I'd say I'm probably on Twitter way too much. (laughs) Uh, I watch a ton of anime. And uh, I guess I'd say I play games and stream sometimes as well. A man of culture, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wells, do you identify as a gamer? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question, too. Um, I think it's complicated for me because uh, I think when I was a kid, like 100%, I definitely call myself a gamer in every sense of the word. I loved games. I breathed games. I dreamt about games and making games. Mm. Um, But I think in recent years, I'm not as sure. Mm. Um, I mean, I play games here and there. I enjoy them. And honestly, I think that's enough. 
Uh, I don't think I've ever thought about needing like a label for mm. it or thought of it as something that like defines my identity. Mm. Um, I think it's one of those things where, right, if you think of yourself as a gamer uh, and you call yourself a gamer, then I think you're a gamer, right? Like there's no gatekeeping on that word for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, to that end, uh, you know, you mentioned being a kid and very strongly identifying mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. gamer. What's your personal history with video games? Yeah. So. Uh, that's that's so good. I mean, I'd have to say that probably goes back all the way to uh, like Christmas of like 1998, like really going all the way back. Um, I have like this fleeting memory of of just sitting on the living room floor mm-hmm. as a kid, right? That Christmas and opening up this present of like something I've never heard of before. My parents mm-hmm. got um, they're like, oh, we heard, you know, kids like this. And I opened it up and uh, there it was with Pokemon Blue version. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, blue, blue over red. Shout out. <laughs> but I was, I was four at the time, right? And and getting that game, I think, completely changed my childhood uh, for better or for worse mm. um, because I was obsessed with games growing up. Uh, like when I wasn't playing a game, I was thinking about games, right? I was doodling yes. on paper about games. I was coming up with all these like fantastical stories and characters and game mechanics. Um, and I was actually really convinced that one day I'd become a game designer. Mm. Um, and of course, a lot of the games I played that I think are like my favorites, I played super, super young, right? Like Majora's Mask, Final Fantasy X. Uh, I was like five and six when those came out. Dang. Um, yeah. But when I got older, right, going into high school, I think I stopped playing games for a lot of different reasons. Um, and we can go into that later. It's like pretty deep. But I just stopped for years and years. Uh, I don't think it was until 2018 mm. when I finally picked up a game again. Um, so that was about a decade of just not playing games. Um, and then I started playing more games uh, ever since. Oh, yeah. Um, and what you said about when you weren't playing games, you were thinking about them that resonated. Mm-hmm. Like, I miss the days of not like truly not knowing what present you were going to receive and like having mm-hmm. no expectations mm-hmm. about what that present was going to be and mm-hmm. then opening mm-hmm. it and being completely blown away by, oh, yeah. <laughs> by what mm-hmm. you were receiving. Like I feel like now um, like I have younger cousins and stuff mm-hmm. who I you know shop for, for the birthdays, for Christmas, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, they like already know exactly what they want and they give me a list and it's like, they yep. know what their friends want, like social media, yep, whatever. Yep. It's like, everything's already capitalism is fully indentured <laughs> <laughs> into their brains yep. to the point where yep. that's just part of, of that expectation. And it's like, I miss the mystery of like, <laughs> what is this? And, you know, with something like a game console, it's such a, mm-hmm. You cut, there's a learning curve. There's a whole, there's something <laughs> mm-hmm. mysterious and, uh, and especially with games, like with the mm-hmm. big guides that used to come with them and you would flip oh, yeah. through and read and look at all the pictures. And I mm-hmm. would spend hours mm-hmm. just reading the guide, like it's a magazine and mm-hmm. coming up with stories <laughs> in my head. It's like, I miss the mystery of, of mm-hmm. gaming as a kid. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I just went back to my parents' place to clean up my old room. Um, and I actually found one of those guides of uh, Klonoa 2. Oh, my God. Because it, it just came back out, right? Klonoa um, on on the Switch. And I was like, oh, I forgot I had this. When I was younger, like, I couldn't get every game I wanted. Yeah. So I would just buy the guides sometimes. Yeah. And I just read through the guides. <laughs> it was like the second best thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like reading the manga if you couldn't get your hands on the anime. <laughs> so wells what Mm -hmm. role if any does gaming play in your life today as an adult uh yeah i think man today i think job wise not so much Mm -hmm. but i think 
let me think about that for a moment. Yeah, like I think especially during the pandemic, uh, games have been something I've been enjoying like a lot. Um, that's really been helping me focus on something for like an extended period of time. Uh, while feel like I, feeling like I'm productive in a way and able to accomplish things. Mm. Um, like to take a few steps back for context, I think during pandemic, right, I've been struggling a lot with all the parts of my mental health, right? Like stress, anxiety, depression, but like amplified. Yeah. Um, and it just, a part of that just feels like I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I can't do anything, mm. right? Um, and just feeling kind of stuck. But I think games lately have actually been really nice for me to kind of just turn that part of my brain off and get lost in something. Totally. And kind of just remind myself like, hey, I can still do things. Um, like for an example, right? One of the biggest like things for me recently was getting and beating Elden Ring. <gasps> uh, yeah, which it was my first Souls like first from software game ever, and everyone wow. was like, "Oh, it's like it's so hard. There's no way you're gonna finish that." Yeah, because um, most of the games I usually play these days are like small, cozy ones that are like mm. under ten hours long. You know, like unpacking or a short hike. Uh, yes, um, yes, but. <laughs> I got Elden Ring and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish this. Um, and about a month in or about 80 in our games in, I, I, I 100%ed it. What? Um, wow. Yeah, and that, and that felt really good. Yeah, just I was like, whoa. Like, oh my God, she yeah. deserves a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> I have the one in Steam. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Wow, what an achievement. I mean, did you, speaking of Elden Ring, I'm just so curious mm-hmm. with it being your first Souls game, like mm-hmm. how what was that relationship like? Did you fall in love with it? Were you as happy at the end as you were at the beginning? Like, just give us a peek. <laughs> I, I thought it was all right. I, I loved it, first of all. Um, I I'm usually am not into all these, like, like you know, you have to grind for it, you have to keep playing it over and over and over again sorts of games mm. um, where there's a lot of punish in the game. Yes. Right? I usually don't play too much of that. Um, but it was so wonderful, I think, with the open world aspect. Um, just being able to roam around and really just, I guess, like hone my skills in game. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, so I, not as a spoiler to anyone who's played the game, uh, I had a bleep build in the game and mm-hmm. uh, I got to the very like final boss and I was like, oh, like this doesn't work as well. So it was like, a, like um, a bit of a disappointing ending for me, but like everything in the middle, I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I've been hearing that, but yeah. hey, you it's the journey right not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. the destination mm-hmm. and oh my god what you were saying about just turning off part of your brain engaging with a game like mm-hmm. i love sinking into a nice long rpg and being like ah i love the feeling of control coming back into my life <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. love to love to be the arbiter of my own destiny mm-hmm. <laughs> so wells you um you alluded to your days being a bit more busy um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with your work Um, through some Googling, I've learned Mm. that you are an AI scholar and an educator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So what does a day in the life sort of look like for you? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I, it's changed a lot recently because of pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, So for some context, um, so I'm just for the, the, the listeners at home. Yeah. Um, I'm an interdisciplinary educator, researcher, and activist on the societal implications of technology. Um, and actually for the last few years, I've primarily worked in the nonprofit educational equity space. Mm. Um, so what that means is um, I've been working a lot at nonprofits as like an educational manager where I build curriculum for courses. Um, I later became a director. So I was managing folks to, to build that out. 
Um, so for a lot of years, that's what I was doing. Mm. Um, this past year, I applied for a PhD program, got in. So things have wow. kind of been more in flux. Yeah, I'm really excited <laughs> about this PhD program. I, I, I can't believe I'm returning to academia. It's been five, six years since I like graduated. Mm. So it's, it was this huge decision of, oh, like, am I too old to go back? Am I like, Never. is this going to be okay for me? Yeah, like people really reassured me. They're like, it's going to be fine. Um, so yeah, for this year, actually, uh, I stopped working any like full-time job mm. and I've just been a contractor. Um, I've actually been creating curriculum this year around, um, there's like this program around, um, getting native, uh, girls in high school uh, mm. to engage more with technology. So mm. I'm working with, uh, the Cape center in Oakland, as well as, um, an organization called, uh, ACES, um, uh, like American Indian, I think it's science engineering, um, services or something like that. And they, um, yeah, I've been working with them, building out this curriculum uh, to teach AI for high schoolers. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So as an AI educator and curriculum mm-hmm. designer, what are some common misconceptions people have about AI that maybe frustrate you or even make you laugh? Oh, man. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I, I'm thinking where to start. Um, <laughs> I think this is what's interesting is. Often when I talk about my work, um, one of the like starting points mm. um, is, is I usually start by saying contrary to popular belief, um, technology or AI, right? It isn't neutral, mm. right? It isn't mm. apolitical, right? Yes. A lot of people think of this as like some objective thing that makes its own decisions. But no, it's embedded with the biases and values of those who make it, mm. right? And very often, you know, with us living in this white heteropatriarchal society, right? The values and biases that these systems take on they harm marginalized folks, mm. right? Or these systems end up amplifying the systems of oppression that already exist around mm-hmm. us, right? So I talk a lot, a lot, a lot about that. Yeah. And so when you think about the future of artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. are you mostly scared or mostly excited and why? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we'll, we'll have to see. So I think it really depends on, you know, who's creating that artificial intelligence technology um, who's being heard, right? Who's being heard now? What are we doing about it right now? Um, I think there's a lot of great folks doing work that to me, it's just, it's, it's, it's inspirational. It's exciting. Um, I think we're headed towards the right track, mm-hmm. right? But, um, it's really a people question. I think a lot of people think of it as, oh, like, are we just, is AI going to like become sentient one day, right? And become mm-hmm. Terminator. But I think that's, less of a reality as much as what are we doing with that technology, right? Mm-hmm. Are we letting, you know, like the Elon Musks of the world like take over these tech companies, right? Um, because I think that's going to spell doom for us. Absolutely. Uh, the monopoly of mm-hmm. of knowledge and exploration is mm-hmm. truly frightening to comprehend. Um, that reminded <laughs> me, what did you think about that whole story out of Google where the oh, lead engineer gosh. working on their uh, AI chatbot totally was like hold up y'all this thing's sentient and we need to protect it it's just a kid that freaked me out <laughs> what did you think about that whole situation yeah. i you know it's, it's it's wild because a lot of people have been asking me uh because that's a lot of what i work on mm. and how like my whole field of work like all my peers are like oh like we keep getting asked this question and we're so tired of it because um a lot of these claims are pretty fake right yeah um ai you know this AI isn't sentient 
a lot of the chatbot like transcripts that this guy put together, they were edited and put mm-hmm. together by himself, right? Like over different sessions. So a lot of it is kind of fabricated. There's no like reason that you can look at the code and say, okay, like this AI has consciousness. Um, and the guy himself, I, okay, I kind of have a little beef with the guy himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize he had a Twitter account. And he literally, uh-huh. we were talking in our space about like, oh, you know, we could do so much good um, for AI if we, you know, had funding for for these like responsible AI projects. And he slid into someone's replies and was like, oh, you could do that if you start an OnlyFans. And I'm like, what? bro, what? And I was, I saw his name and I was like, there's no way it's the same guy. And I clicked through and it was. And he's just this like real sleazy guy. And I'm like, come on now. Like, yeah. I'm so mad that he has all these like news platforms platforming him. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on. Mm-hmm. We have other more important things to talk about. Absolutely. And like, we are totally pro sex work and there's nothing wrong with making yeah. an OnlyFans inherently. But to be like, hey, just making OnlyFans is entirely overlooking mm-hmm. the systemic failures mm-hmm. that mean that people who are doing this work can't get the funding they need to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, just boo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and just what you were saying about, like, I think people, um, myself included, because of media, because of all the, the what we see in entertainment and everything else about what mm-hmm. artificial intelligence means, I think people absolutely imagine this black box in a white room that is mm-hmm. all-knowing and mm-hmm. has no morality and is, has, is a godlike <laughs> presence that just watches over <laughs> us without interfering until it falls into the wrong hands. Um, but... <laughs> Really, it's like something fed by human biases. And if most of the people mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. coding that thing are white men, which is like, mm-hmm. look at any <laughs> any company, any mm-hmm. technology company's makeup, and that's more often than not what you're going to find. Um, it's scary to think. Uh, it's scary, too, to think that um, because of this public perception, so much of the of us may not be aware of just how much that bias persists. Like we're, we're trusting yeah. in something that we don't fully understand how it's made. Um, that's yeah. scary too. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. but Wells, you work with the next generation of technologists. You're, <laughs> you're writing yeah. this curriculum. You're, you're bringing, mm-hmm. you're serving cultural consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> no. um, you know, as you help foster this next generation, what do you think is foundational? Like what, what qualities are needed for building a more equitable, a more just, and a more culturally responsive technology um, community, technology workforce? Mm, I mean, I have like my educator hat on. That's a big like, question, I know. <laughs> people, yeah, yeah. No, uh, people ask me this in terms of, at least in terms of building curriculum mm-hmm. um, a lot. Um, I think one of the things I see, especially with technology curriculum, is right. we focus on all these technical aspects of it, but there's no kind of focus on the humanistic aspects of it, right? Or the social mm-hmm. science aspects of it. Um, people usually talk about this as, oh, you know, engineers need to take a ethics course. But I think it goes deeper than mm. that, right? I think it's beyond just, you know, one-off ethics course. I think it's as you're building out this technology and talking about it, uh, we do need to talk about, you know, where it comes from, right? We need, do need to talk about the values um, that we put into our technologies, uh, for instance, um, I'm going to Oklahoma this week to to work with some teachers about AI. Mm. And often the question I get is, all right, so how do I actually talk about, you know, these values embedded into my systems? And um, we're teaching machine learning, which is, is this technology, this um, type of artificial intelligence that uses data um, to, to help the computer um, accomplish or perform some tasks. Mm-hmm. 
And the question is, well, where does this data come from, right? And well, people had to collect this data. People get to choose what data to feed into the system. Mm. That's a human choice, right? I think a lot of this is learning about these human choices um, and just being thoughtful and meaningful about it. Um, I think there's a lot of folks who go into these programs without a lot of empathy for others mm. um, and understanding of, yeah, this could cause harms for others. Maybe we don't want to do that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we get back to gaming, um, <laughs> I also saw that you are very interested in boba history and are quite the <laughs> boba connoisseur. So imagine you're at the boba shop. Uh, what's your order? Oh my gosh. I did not expect to get this question. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a great, 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 great question. Um, it depends on the shop that I'm at. Mm. I actually have um, a large, large spreadsheet um, yes! of different shops I go to. Yes. Um, and I actually, um, I got really not bored, but I felt kind of deflated a few weeks back. And I was like, I'm not doing anything. So I just started to start listing out every boba store in the US. Oh my God. Yes. And I have a list. Um, <gasps> We have about 4,000, a bit over 4,000 stores uh, in the U.S. Um, but I would say for the vast majority of stores, if I go to a boba shop, um, you can't go wrong with the classic. Got to get that classic milk tea uh, mm. with pearls. Yes. Um, I recently have been really into um, like the, the fresh milk drinks, like the brown sugar milk mm. drinks. Um, that's really big on big for me. Um, a lot of these brown sugar drinks, by the way, a lot of people don't realize if you just get like a brown sugar milk, um, a lot of it doesn't actually have tea in it. Mm. It's just milk and brown sugar. Um, Shit, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you don't want tea, you can get that. Um, on the flip side, when I don't want something very milky and sweet, I just get some fruit teas. Um, mm. Yeah, it depend, depends on where I go. But, mm-hmm. yeah. My personal obsession is the cheese foam that's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really thick and on the, it's nice and salty. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I could just drink that mm. all day. Um so uh, it's good to know that there's like, you could go to a different boba shop like every day for almost 10 years in the U.S. <laughs> That's comforting. <laughs> it, it depends on where you are. There's some states I was looking at, uh, like Iowa, for instance, not to pick on Iowa. My parents went to Iowa. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, there were, I think, only like 10 like boba shops in all Iowa. Wow. Uh, I'm going on this road trip. I think there's only two in like um, in South Dakota. So we're like. Yeah, we can't get yeah. too much there. Um, yeah. But then you get to these big hubs. A lot of people think of, you know, California, New York. Um, mm. Surprisingly, Las Vegas, lots of boba. Mm. Minneapolis, lots and lots of boba. Mm. Shout out to Minneapolis. Y'all have <laughs> just tons of boba. Um, and people don't give y'all enough rep for it. Clearly not, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out. <laughs> well, awesome. I hope you hit many new boba stops on your road trip. Mm. I, I hope so too. I can't drink too, too much. Um, the sugar's getting to me. I'm not as young as I used to be, unfortunately. Um, Preach. So, Wells, on this podcast, we love to talk to guests about a specific game that influenced them in a meaningful mm-hmm. way. Um, before mm-hmm. you came on the show, you mentioned the game Florence to us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, for folks who aren't familiar, Florence is inter- an interactive story and video game um, developed by the Australian studio Mountains and published by Annapurna Interactive. Um, it came out originally on Valentine's Day 2018 um, for the iPhone 
Um, and then later that same year for Android. And then finally in 2020, it hit the first console with a Nintendo Switch and also came out um, for desktop computers, Windows, and Mac. Um, so, Wells, if you were trying to pitch this game to a friend who'd never played it before, how would you describe Florence in a few sentences? Oh, my gosh. Um, in a few sentences... I can describe the game. I can, as a pitch, I'm not sure. As a pitch, I would say it's just, it's a real, real, real emotional game and it really hits you hard. Um, yeah, that's all I would say. But in terms Great. of like, I think as a longer sort of thing, yes. I think, um, I think in terms of, I would say the emotional impact of the game, it, it got me to think of games in a way mm. that, like differently, right? Than than ever, I've ever thought of games before, mm-hmm. right? It, it helped me rethink what a game was and what a game didn't need to be, right? Mm. It, it it showed me, right, that a game didn't need to be super long. It doesn't need to be challenging, complex, AAA blockbuster, right? It's it's this incredible focus on narrative and storytelling that just blew me away, mm. right? Um, yeah, yeah. it has these like these 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 little interactive puzzles throughout that you have to figure out that really reinforced the story being told. Um, so it's like you're going through it yourself. Mm. Um, and I think that was just so wonderful. And, and if you've never experienced something like that, you've you got to pick it. So what drove you to first pick up and play Florence? Yeah, so um, <laughs> this is a funny story or maybe a sad story. I don't know. Um, but I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I stopped playing games for a long time. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2018 that I started playing games again. Um, and in fact, it was the first game I, start, I picked back up was Florence um, around early 2018. Um, I do have an Android phone, so shout out to those who had to wait for Android. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I hadn't picked up a game in almost a decade, and I was super, super hesitant at first because, you know, I had this whole mess of emotions about getting back into games. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it was short. It was, you know, people said, you know, it's going to take an hour, so it's okay. You can do it on, like, the train. So um, I without giving too much away about the game story, right? I, like I was there, I was myself, a mid twenties, Asian femme focused on far too much about work, right? Mm. Far too much about my struggling relationship with my parents. Um, and, and really truth be told, uh, I just gone through a really, really bad breakup mm. from a five-year relationship. Mm. Yeah. And the game just really, really hit. Uh, without any spoilers to the game but um yeah the game you know it's very relationship centric so yeah um, yeah you mentioned um you know walking away from games for many years and having a lot of complicated emotions about coming back mm-hmm. to them yeah. um could yeah. you say more about that and and where those emotions are coming from yeah um yeah that's a harder question <laughs> i think it's you know, growing up, I think I had a lot of, I think, imagination, inspiration for making games. And I was really excited about just getting into that space and doing something that I loved mm. and found joy in. Um, this actually ends up tying back to my parents. I think my parents are very um, pragmatic, practical. Um, I think they have this, you know, immigrant survivor mentality that they really pushed on me of, you know, if you're not making money, right, mm-hmm. then, then what are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. And to them, like, games wasn't this field that, you know, you could have a career in. Now, for sure, like, definitely you can. But I think growing up, at least in the 90s, they didn't see that. Mm. And they really pushed me away from it. They're like, no, you got to focus on your studies. You got to go get, you know, so-and-so job. Um, so I really ended up studying 
uh, were focusing on my studies a lot throughout high school. So I kind of stepped away from it. I kind of stepped away. I was like, I have to study. I have to do, you know, this, this, and this to get to a great college. Um, and I put a lot of those pressures on myself mm-hmm. um, that years later, I realized, hey, I didn't really need to do that. I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, and it makes me really sad because it was this moment in my life where, yeah, I kind of just gave up on this thing that brought me so much happiness. Mm. Um, just because there's so much pressure from my parents. I wanted to make them proud and everything. Yeah. Um, so I missed out on a lot. And I felt like, oh, man, like I, 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 it's hard to go back to something that I've stepped away from. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. And honestly, like as a child, it's natural to want to, you know, do what your parents want and behave in a way that unlocks that love and mm-hmm. respect mm-hmm. and pride in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, to be able to unpack that mm-hmm. and understand that it's not a moral failing to do something that I love or to engage with something that I love. It doesn't make me any less of a person. And Mm -hmm. to be able to like engage with that more healthily as an adult takes so much work. So I just want to say kudos Mm -hmm. to you for like working through that trauma and continuing to figure shit out. Cause like, that shit ain't easy. Um, yeah, definitely not. I, I have my therapist to thank for that. <laughs> Thanks, uh, I've been in therapy for years and years. Yes. Yeah, shout out to therapy. Yes. Shout out to therapy always. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Wells, you talked to us about how Florence totally changed how you thought of games and what they could be, what they could do. Mm-hmm. Could you mm-hmm. tell us more about what that looked like and, and how it changed? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty superficial at the time, too, because I think growing up, a lot of the games I played were these like super big, you know, triple A blockbuster games, um, you know, like Final Fantasy, Legend of Zelda. Um, I remember one of the later games I played was Halo, which I'm not as into now, but uh, right. Like these are all just really like these long, really, really well polished games. Um, Whereas I think with Florence and a lot of the other games I play now, like, you know, Unpacking Mm. um, or Short Hike, it's. I think there's almost like this, this attention to all the little details mm. in the game, right? Um, specifically, I was thinking about Florence the other day because I come back to this game all the time and I'm like, oh, if I made a game, I'd love to make something like this where like, there's parts of the game, um, like the mechanics that kind of reinforce the overarching like emotions or, or, or story, right? Um, where, for instance, very specifically... In Florence, I remember there's a segment where you have conversations with another character mm. um, and you have to put these jigsaw pieces together to continue the conversation. Uh, when you start off, right, there's a lot of pieces and it's hard to put them together. But as the conversation continues and becomes easier and easier for uh, Florence, the character, the puzzles you have to solve become easier and easier, mm. right? Um, and, and, you know, in the inverse, right, when it becomes harder, the pieces become harder again, right? And there's just something so you know, elegant and simple about that. Right. But so powerful because it, yeah, just, it's, it's so powerful. It puts you right there. Absolutely. It's amazing how like the emotional impact of games can make like, like depending on how a game makes you feel or how it mm-hmm. touches you, like mm-hmm. a triple a game can hold as much personal significance and weight as like a one hour long mm-hmm. experience made by one person. Like I can mm-hmm. think of games that I hold and, so close to my heart that are it doesn't doesn't matter what it took to make them what the budget was who the studio was <laughs> like in some cases even how long the game was um and i don't know, it just it's just 
amazing <laughs> how that works. It's like mm-hmm. magic plus technology <laughs> equals game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to that point, you mentioned how playing Florence um, was almost therapeutic for you in yeah. sort of getting through this period in your life that was really, really tough. Um, How do you feel like Florence helped you move through a lot of the hardship and transitions that you were going through? Um, I think the most part, um, the, the, the game really helped me kind of walk through kind of the steps, right. Kind of the memories of, of a relationship. I think Mm -hmm. that particular moment in my life, um, I was coming out of a, um, a really bad breakup. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't the best, right. And it was the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a moment of growth for me. Um, but there's moments I think in Florence where I kind of got to see kind of the arc for relationship, especially the letting go part. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to give any big, big, small, mm-hmm. maybe, okay. Like I'm going to talk about this. So if you haven't played Florence, like, <laughs> stop the podcast, yeah. go, go play Florence. It takes an hour to come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, there's this part towards the end of the game, right? Where you have to let go mm-hmm. and you have to just let the, the, the other partner kind of walk off the screen. And the whole mm-hmm. point of that segment is if you tap the screen, you, you can't ever let go, mm. right? I remember when I picked up that game, I was like, oh no, like I have to like, the game's forcing me to kind of have to let go. And mm. it was like in that moment, like I just kept tapping. I remember tapping that for like at least 30, 40 minutes. I was like, I can't, I can't not Aww. stop, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end, it's like, yeah, you really just have to watch them kind of walk walk off, walk away from your life. Um, and yeah, I think it just gave me pause and help me kind of realize, oh yeah, like what I'm doing is really unhealthy and, and I, I have to move on as well. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And it's amazing how much power such a simple interaction mm-hmm. can have, like simply mm-hmm. tapping a screen. It's like the motion to do that is so simple, but mm-hmm. all that it's all the weight of the feeling, it, it makes it so hard. Um, mm-hmm. I just, <sighs> Choices. I don't know. I feel like games can sometimes make us really examine who we are in like really mm-hmm. crucial moments like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. You mentioned too that you come back to Florence from time to time um, and mm-hmm. play it again. Um, what sort of is your relationship with it, and what brings you back to it time and again? I think for now, I'm, I'm in a great relationship right now. I'm really happy about <laughs> it. Shout out to my partner. Yes. Um, I I come back to it less about less around the emotional aspect of it more about um i think it's just it's such a pleasant game to play i think um where there's so many emotions with it that it's just it's it's a joy mm. to play right and it's not too long you can just you know I'm, I'm on the train ride from maybe san jose to oakland and um you know you can just open up and finish the game in the whole sitting um and it's just nice to remember all these small details right the attention to detail um yeah, just it, it brings so much joy. Absolutely. Wells, thanks so much for being with us. Where mm-hmm. can folks follow you and keep up with your work? Yeah, definitely. Um, people can follow me on Twitter. Uh, at I, I like say that with positive. <laughs> I'm like, my Twitter is uh, my Twitter's all over the place. It's a lot of like just me complaining and ranting. That's at what the we world. love about Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I have like all these like professional folks at these like academic conferences who follow me, and I'm like, oh no, like I'm just over here like shit posting about anime. Like, if you don't no, appreciate but- me at my unhinged, you don't deserve <laughs> yes. me at my academia. <laughs> truly, truly. 
Um, <laughs> yes. So if you if you if you want that content, if you want just long threads about nothing, um, you can follow me on Twitter um, at Wells Lucas Santo. Um, yeah, that's probably the best place. I'm off Instagram now. Um, Good I'm for not you. on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to free myself of all the social yeah. media. Um, but I'm I'm on Twitter way too much. That's the best place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and if people want to like check more of my my workout, they can go to my website, wellsanto.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on Pixel Therapy. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you both for inviting me. It's been great chatting. for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on twitter and instagram at pixel therapy pod That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Shout out to Wells for recommending this week's side quest, um, People's Programs of Oakland. Um, you can check them out at Linktree slash PBO. And that's <laughs> the Linktree uh, website is a little confusing. So you can always just Google Linktree and PBO, but the address is linktr.com. EE slash PBO. Um, but the People's Programs is an Oakland based Black and New African organization dedicated to the liberation and unification of all African people through scientific socialism. They are governed by the ideologies, theories, principles, and practices of revolutionary nationalists and pan Africanists, and they're aiming to do their part to contribute to the new African independence movement. You can volunteer, donate, sign up for mutual aid efforts. Check out PBO's podcast, Hello Black, and so much more at their link tree. And again, that's linktr.ee slash PBO. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back in November with some more pixel, pixel therapy. therapy. Bye-bye. Thank you.